0: Section 4 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 14. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mike Manilakis. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 14. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 4 The Cruise of the Sparkler. By Jack Garnett. It was upon a bright morning in July, 1814, that the American privateer schooner Sparkler, which had been becalmed for eight and forty hours, about sixty miles outside the Bermudas, at last caught the breeze from the northwest and made all sail for the southern and eastern. She was of that class of vessels designated in nautical parlance Baltimore Clippers, and it needed but one glance at her symmetrical figure to perceive that she was well worthy of her name. About two hundred tons in burden, long, low, and sharp, she was yet of great breadth of beam, while her beautifully tapering masts seemed almost to reach the sky. Upon her snow-white decks, which were without spring or rise, were mounted sixteen long brass twelve-pounders, eight of a side, not ran out of the ports as in a man-of-war, but slewed fore and aft. While her ports were closed, and her hull painted so exactly like that of a merchantman, in various colors, that it required a sharp eye and near observation to discover that she was other than she seemed a peaceful merchant vessel from Fells Point, bound to the Spanish Main. In addition to her batteries, she mounted amidships, upon a traversing carriage, a long brass forty two pounder, while her cutlass racks and boarding pikes. The last, lashed to the booms, showed that she was also well prepared for close quarters, and to finish by boarding the work cut out by the great guns. She was, withal, well manned. Of her crew of a hundred and eighty men, the greater part were now upon deck, having just finished making sail. And in their dark faces and muscular forms, as they carelessly lounged about, might be read the proof that these trusts were bestowed worthily "'upon men who would fight to the death "'in defense of their striped and spangled bunting. "'The captain of the privateer, "'dressed with some pretensions to nicety, "'but wearing a common tarpaulin, "'had been walking fore and aft "'along the starboard quarter-deck for half an hour, "'in silence, carelessly swinging the spyglass, "'with which, ever and anon, he swept the horizon. "'He now paused in his promenade, "'and addressed the first mate. "'Mr. Townsend?' ''I don't like these Irish hurricanes. Here we are eight days from Hampton Roads, and only just clear of Bermuda. We must make more Easting soon, or we shall lose the outward-bound West Indiamen, and be compelled to trust to chance customers.'' ''Very true, Captain Benson,'' replied the first mate, who was at this moment standing on a gun, and leaning against the starboard bulwark. ''But... Sail ho!'' sung out the lookout aloft. "'Wear away!' hailed Benson, while all hands sprang up at the announcement. "'Right ahead, sir!' was the reply. This news spread life throughout the vessel, and all hands being instantly mustered, ringtails and bonnets were rigged, and increased as much as possible, and our schooner, wing and wing, continued her course, bearing down for the stranger. While her crew, delighted at the prospect of something professional we speculating as to the value of the chase and the consequent amount of prize money. In half an hour, Benson hailed the lookout. "Mass head there, what do you make her out to be? A large ship, sir, replied the lookout. Her starboard tack's boarded, standing southwest. Keep her more to the southward, Mr. Townsend, said Captain Benson, on receipt of this information. We'll cut her off. She's a stout lump of a ship, sir, replied the mate as he obeyed the order. She may be a man of war. Very good. We have the weather gauge, answered Benson as he went forward to take another look. In an hour's time the stranger was plainly to be seen. She was evidently a large ship, and from her build and appearance looked much like a man of war. This seemed more fully apparent the short time after, for the chase, which had till now appeared unconscious of the presence of the privateer, suddenly hauled her wind and made all sail toward her, while the rapidity with which her course was changed and her canvas crowded seemed proof positive that she was a man of war. This maneuver produced some surprise on board the sparkler. "'A Scotch prize, Captain Benson,' observed the first mate as he handed him the glass. "'Perhaps so,' replied Captain Benson composedly. "'Clear away Long Tom there, and double-shot both batteries.' "'We will soon see what she is.' "'It was now about noon, and the vessels being on opposite courses "'had approached within four or five miles of each other, "'and this distance was rapidly diminishing. "'The chase is now within range, sir,' reported Townsend. "'Very good, sir. Let drive at him with Long Tom, "'and send up the gridiron at the fore,' replied Benson. "'The flag of the United States waved in the breeze,' and the forty-two spoke in thunder the moment the order was given. This was a touch of his quality, which the chase had not expected at the hands of the privateer. And the smoke clearing up showed her bearing off before the wind, crowding all sail. "'So much for your man-of-war, Mr. Townsend,' said Benson, pointing out this change of course. "'She is pulling a heel, and goes off before the wind, because that is the worst point in a schooner's sailing. "'Run out the batteries, load Long Tom,' and open the magazine we will try this fellow a little anyhow meanwhile on board the english west indiaman for such was the stranger all was confusion and dismay her commander had from the first suspected that the schooner was an american privateer but had adopted the bold course of standing toward her in chase to give the impression that he was a man of war well knowing that it was in vain to hope to escape by superior sailing from a baltimore clipper the report of the sparkler's long forty-two, however, and the sight of the shot, which struck the water just ahead of him, had dispelled all his hopes of frightening her, and now, as a last resource, he put his helm up and bore away to the southeast, hoping to leave his pursuers astern until some other ship might heave in sight to save him. This was certainly his wisest course, and his vessel being a fast sailor, and under oppressive canvas, made rapid headway. She was of the largest class of English West Indiamen, about 1,200 tons in burden, and was now from Plymouth, bound to Kingston, Jamaica, with a very valuable cargo, and a number of passengers, and, to defend the whole, carried 16 pounders and a crew of 40 men. "'Clear away those guns, my lads, and open the magazine,' said the commander of the Indiamen, who, though he wished to escape, yet had a stomach for dry knocks. "'I wish we had a 42-pounder.' "'for then we'd fight the Yankees on better terms.' "'I hope, Captain St. John,' said a passenger, "'who at this moment came up the companionway. "'I hope, sir, you do not intend to fight the American.' "'Certainly I do, Mr. Tompkins,' replied St. John. "'He shall not take all our cargo and the ship into the bargain "'without fighting for it, I promise you. "'Why, our cargo alone is worth fifty thousand pounds sterling.' "'Jonathan shall not make his fortune this time "'if I can prevent him.' "'But, sir,' continued Tompkins anxiously, "'consider the lady passengers. "'I beg you, sir, to surrender to the American, "'and perhaps he will treat us well. "'While if you fight him, he will be enraged "'and kill all our males and carry our women and children "'into captivity beyond Babylon, as the Scripture has it,' "'interrupted St. John hastily. "'Consider the devil.' all that the ladies have to do is stay below and be quiet and you doubtless will fight to the last in defence of your wife and daughter so there's another hand to work our guns i mean he shall treat us well and as for his rage why we'll get angry too come mr tompkins there's a musket for you i shan't touch it sir said mr tompkins it's against my principles to fight and i will bring the matter before the passengers to see if they will permit you to throw away all our lives in this manner and so saying he went hastily below good pluck that said st john laughing at the bravery of his live freight however perhaps Whiz came a forty-two pound shot from the long tom of the privateer which interrupted his soliloquy and passed through his main royal and shortly after another walked through the bunt of all three topsails and a moment after the third struck his starboard quarter knocking the splinters about in every direction while the ladies below screamed at the top of their lungs to mend the matter now my lads said st john quietly addressing his crew send up our ensign at the peak and stand by to shorten sail continuing his course for a moment that the privateer might distinctly see his colours he then put down his helm hauled close upon the wind and stood toward her justly considering it folly to attempt farther escape while every shot raked him fore and aft that he might go into action in true man-of-war fashion, St. John next ordered to take in the royals, four-and-mizzen mis- top sails, and flying jib, hauled up the courses, and depressed both batteries for close quarters, and made every preparation of small arms and cutlasses to beat off the privateer, if possible, and, in any event, to send some of the Jonathans to Davy's locker. This change in the Englishman's course produced a corresponding one in the privateers. He shortened sail, and perceiving that the Indiaman man, intended to show fight, continued to blaze away with his long forty-two, directing his shot solely to her decks, not wishing either to carry away her spars, or to hit her between wind and water, and thoroughly understanding gunnery, his round shot coursed along the decks and cabins of the Indiaman man, with terrible precision, causing great fright and some positive injury to her timid passengers. They were, however, soon huddled up in the run in security, not one daring to fight for his dinner, St. John having coolly told them that they would certainly be captured by the privateer, but that he was determined to have the satisfaction of peppering the Yankees somewhat anyhow. This, however, was not so safe an undertaking, for as the privateer rapidly neared them, grape-shot were added to round, inner 42, which scattered around with their wanted fatal and appalling effect, while the round-shot continued to perform his usual mission in his usual careful and scientific manner, tearing up the decks, dashing in the bulwarks, and knocking those terrible missiles to splinters among the crew, while the crowds of armed men, now distinctly seen clustering about the decks of the privateer, showed full plainly that she was amply prepared for the combat hand to hand. As one after another of the Indiaman's crew were cut down by one or other of these destructives, the remainder, instead of being cowed, were, with true bulldog spirit, only the more exasperated, Working ship with great speed and undaunted bravery, and when the privateer began to open upon them with his larboard battery, they immediately returned the same in coin very spiritedly. And the long forty two of the American being now neglected for the moment, the combat became more equal, each vessel working eight twelve pounders of a side. The commander of the privateer was much surprised at meeting such determined resistance where he had expected abject submission, and as the vessels neared, soon became aware, from the destructive effect of the English fire upon his crowded decks, that he must put an end to the present game immediately, and trust the boarding for success. He, accordingly, changed his course so as to pass across the bows of the Indian man, intending to rake him thoroughly and then board him. But St. John, who was now in his element, loudly cheering his men, and fighting most determinedly, was fully aware of his intention." and falling off before the wind also he let drive his whole starboard battery down upon the decks of the american and among his rigging carrying away her foregaff and the throat and peak halyards of her mainsail which last came thundering down by the run and then despite the broadside of the schooner which swept along his decks in thunder and flame he instantly hauled again upon the wind so that disabled as was the privateer she lay right in his course and was apparently doomed to be run down by the immense hull of the Indiamen. This seemingly inevitable result was prevented, and the whole aspect of the combat changed by one of those small events which have so often turned the tide of battle. At the moment of receiving the indiaman's broadside, there were two men at the privateer's wheels. The one at the lee wheel was instantly killed by a grape shot, while the other, who escaped unhurt, in his endeavors to free the wheel from the grasp of the dying man, forgetting that the helm was still a spoke or two, a lee, put it hard up. The schooner still had headway upon her, and the wind, acting upon her disabled sails, suddenly brought her head around the port, so that, she being a point upon the Indian man's starboard bow, her jib-boom just swept clear of the ship's cutwater, and in an instant she was lying along her weather-side afoul. "'Borders! Away!' shouted Benson. Perceiving his advantage, and despite a volley of musketry, which laid low a dozen of his best men, and wounded more, he was instantly upon the Indiaman's deck, backed by a hundred men. The combat now is brief, and the English captain being struck down, his men perceived farther resistance useless, and hauling down their colors, surrendered, having thus far kept at bay a most overwhelming force, with a determination and effect which proved them worthy representatives of the English name. Quarters being given to all, the wounded were handed over to the surgeon of the privateer, and the remainder of the Indianman's crew were sent on board of the schooner. The Americans then set about securing their prize and repairing damages, and before twilight had darkened into night, both vessels were close-hauled upon the wind, still from the northwest, standing in for the American coast. The injury to both vessels was principally in the upper works, spars, and rigging, neither having received any material shot between wind and water, so that neither sprung any alarming leak, and what few took place were soon plugged. And so, continuing the repairs of masts and sails, etc., the Indiamen, having a stout prize crew, they kept on their course for the land. The passengers of the Indiaman were treated with the utmost respect, their cabin being left entirely for their use. They were also requested to point out their own private property, which would not in any event be touched, and Captain Benson, having farther assured them that they should be landed at Bermuda, if possible, they finally came to the conclusion that he was a very polite fellow, and their lot far from forlorn. About midnight, the weather having become very thick, it fell a dead calm, and so continued until morning. Now it so happened that an English sloop of war of 24 guns, though out of sight, had heard the cannonading of the day previous, and from the heavy reports of a single gun at intervals of a minute, became convinced that the gun in question was a long tom of a Yankee privateer. Acting upon this belief, she had so shaped her course that she would probably be nearly up with a privateer at daybreak, rightly judging that, upon making the capture, the American would steer for the United States coast. In the darkness, she had approached the privateer, though neither party was sensible of this proximity, and being also becalmed had laid all night within six miles of her as the day broke the wind sprung up from the northeast and the privateer had just hauled upon it in company with her prize when the lookout aloft reported a sail and sure enough in plain sight to the southeast was an english sloop of war crowding everything to chase surprised benson doubtless was but with his usual promptitude his plan of operations was instantly laid and running the schooner close under the lee of the Indiaman, a line was thrown aboard of her by means of which three more were passed now mr townsend said benson lower away the stern and quarter-boats lay them alongside and fill them with men you will go with them on board the indiamen and make all sail for in this chase her prize crew will not be sufficient to work her rapidly and when you have done that open her hatches rig whips and top burtons, toss her boats overboard and get the most valuable of tween-decks cargo on deck with all speed. Farther orders I will transmit by signal or otherwise. These commands were soon obeyed, and the boats were sent twice full stowed, both vessels being at the time under rapid headway. Thus a hundred of the privateer's men were on board the ship very shortly, while the boats were hauled back empty to the schooner, and run up at the davits as before. Thus well manned, the indiamen was instantly under a cloud of canvas, and all her damages being repaired, she proved a crack sailor, and about equal on the wind, her course being north-northwest, to the sloop of war. The privateer on this shortened sail to keep abreast of her prize, and all three bowled merrily onward. "'There goes your launch, neighbor,' said Benson to St. John, who was walking with him the quarter-deck of the schooner, as the ship's longboat was tossed over the side according to orders, while the stern and quarter-boats followed suit in their small way." thus making quite a fleet adrift, all officers and no seamen, like a French man of war. I hope they will have a pleasant cruise. Perhaps the sloop of war may pick them up to prevent so shameful a waste of good stuff. That reminds me, by the by, she may be within range. Here, haul that forty-two aft, some of you. We'll try Mr. Bull at long bowls. The long tom was accordingly hauled aft, elevated, and let drive, but the distance proved greater than Benson had imagined for although the shot actually hit the sloop of war, it was too nearly spent to do much injury. This Mr. Bull determined to repay in coin, but having nothing heavier than a twenty-four pounder, was obliged to elevate it so much that the shot fell wide of the mark astern. It showed, however, that the privateer might be hit by chance shot, and Benson, determining to avoid the possibility, however remote, of being crippled in this manner, changed his position as to bring the indiaman between himself and the sloop of war and that they might be fully aware what his prize was, he ordered to send up at her peak the English ensign under the stars and stripes, and at her masthead, her private signal, and all her holiday bunting, usually sported by English West Indiamen. By thus placing the Indiaman between himself and his pursuers, where she was more likely to be hit than the schooner, Benson hoped to escape harm through the natural unwillingness of the sloop of war to fire upon her own flag. This was a true Yankee trick, and was, for a time, for the foregoing reason, successful. The sloop of war contenting herself with crowding all sail and chase, seldom replying to the shot, which, one after another, with the most provoking pertinacity and skill, were pitched always in her vicinity and frequently plump into her, from the privateer's long forty-two, hoping thereby, herself a prime sailor, to rescue the Indiaman in good order and compel the privateer either to take to his heels alone, or be sent to the bottom for his covetousness, when he should come down upon him with a reserved fire. Now all this was very fine, but the sloop of war, though one of the crackest sailors in his majesty's navy when going large, before the wind, was not so excellent when close-hauled, and was destitute of the true independent Yankee way of putting the wind's eye out with her flying jib-boom end when on a bowline. Accordingly, at this sentimental game she did not make much captain benson said st john as the privateer took up her position as before stated and was firing at a pursuer as fast as her long tom could be served you would soon escape the sloop of war by making sail on the schooner and leaving my ship to take a chance you don't say so shipmate replied benson with a knowing wink and the true yankee drawl do tell I don't do that air, sir, by a blank sight. Sail ho, hailed the lookout aloft. Where away, replied Benson quickly. To windward, sir, answered the lookout, and in plain sight on the weather bow, distant not more than eight miles, was a large ship bearing down, which, in the bustle of the chase, had escaped observation. An English frigate by the Lord, shouted St. John, jumping on a gun. "'Now, Captain Benson, what do you say? "'Shall I take command in the name of his Britannic Majesty, God bless him, "'or will you flog both the sloop and the frigate?' "'Spin that yarn to my marines, my fine fellow,' replied Benson quietly, "'as he removed the glass from his eye. "'There's nothing English about that craft, if I can read Oakham.' "'I'll bet you a dinner of stewed cat-harp legs, "'and a tuck-out of grog on that, Brother Jonathan.' Continued St. John jeeringly. "'But what is she, then?' "'She is neither American, English, or French,' replied Benson. "'And that is all I care for. "'If she was one of Uncle Sam's forty-four gunners, "'they would be coming in for a share of prize money, "'and I don't want any of their assistance, "'so I am satisfied as it is. "'Keep up your fire, my lads. "'Straight as you go, quartermaster.' "'The sloop of war seemed to have been aware "'of the presence of the frigate before,' for she continued her chase, occasionally firing her gun apparently aimed at the rigging of the Indiamen, and although the frigate was meanwhile rapidly approaching, seemed to think that she at least had nothing to fear. For half an hour such was the state of affairs on all sides, and this time amply sufficed to bring the frigate within half a mile of the privateer on her weather beam, heading as if to pass between her and the sloop of war. Benson now sent up the American flag at the fore, and at the same instant a broad banner blew out clear at the fore-sky-sail masthead of the frigate, disclosing amid its rustling folds the armorial bearings of the battle-ensign of the Danish crown, while far astern at the masthead of the sloop-of-war, glancing in the sunbeams, waved the meteor flag of England. Firing one gun across the privateer's bows and another across the sloop-of-war's, the frigate continued her course a moment longer, and then hove to immediately between them, sending up a white flag at her main. The English of that, Captain St. John, said Benson, smiling, is heave to, send a boat on board, and knock off firing, because I am between you. So belay with all that forty-two and take a severe turn round the hencoop. Now, Mr. Townsend, said Benson, as his boat was lowered and manned, you will turn to all hands and toss the cargo on board of us as if the devil was after you while I board the frigate. How's this? he continued, pausing at the gangway. The sloop of war is not hove to. Such was the fact. The sloop of war, being some three or four miles from the frigate, continued her course without minding the summons of the Dane, and this disobedience of her orders was apparently not observed on board the frigate. That's a good one, Johnny War, shouted St. John, clapping his hands you perceive captain benson that my countryman yonder does not care a straw for the frigate's orders she is neutral and has no business to interfere the dane however was not idle and waiting quietly until the sloop of war was within half a mile of her she then fired two guns in quick succession the shot of the first passed merrily over the water just ahead of the englishman while the second whistled between his main and mizzen mast that decided the point the sloop instantly backed her main topsail, while her captain, jumping into his boat, pulled for the frigate, chock-full of wrath at this interruption of his pastime. "'A race, my lads,' said Benson, who jumped into his boat at this moment also. "'She's as near the frigate as we are. Give way!' Now the etiquette of men-of-war pronounces it most honorable to board at the starboard gangway, which, as the Dane lay hove to, was the side toward the privateer and when her boat was within a few lengths of the ladder, the boat of the sloop-of-war came under the frigate's stern, making for the same gangway, it being, of course, beneath the Englishman's dignity to go on board at the other. Benson, who was as full of fun as his opponent was of wrath, no sooner became aware of this, than he steered directly for the bow of the other boat, and his own being a sharp whale-boat, he ran her right aboard with such force and goodwill that all the English oarsmen caught crabs while the commander, who was standing at the moment, was nearly overthrown by the concussion. "'Old England forever! Rule Britannia!' shouted Benson, as he shoved in at the ladder. "'Hope you're not drownded, my lord. I say, my lord, I guess that air was as solid as one of my forty-two's love taps. What's your opinion, my lord? If a fellow was to serve me such a sweetener as that, my lord—' blank my bloody eyes, my lord!' "'if I wouldn't be into his pork-barrel about east, my lord.' "'I say, Mr. Bull,' continued Benson, "'as he deliberately mounted the ladder, "'wouldn't have you expect I meant to do that ere. "'Oh, no, my lord, it was all an accident done a purpose. "'Come aboard, my lord, after me is manners.' "'The Englishman, out of all patience, "'threw a stretcher at Benson's head, "'and following as he needs must, since he could not lead, "'dashed upon deck, boiling over with wrath, while to add to his vexation, the officers and seamen standing around, though ignorant of English, were laughing heartily at the practical wit of the Yankee. Once upon the quarter-deck, Benson altered his tone, and uncovering and bowing politely to the Danish captain, he addressed him in French, informing him who and what he was and where bound, thus giving his version of the story, while the Englishman stood by, awaiting his turn. At length he also, in obedience to the commands of the Dane, gave his name, and that of his vessel, Captain Stanley, of H. B. M. Sloop of War L., and bitterly complained of the interference of a neutral power with his chase of a privateer, and having warmed with his subject, he categorically demanded the name of the vessel, and of her commander, who had dared to heave to an English man of war, and wound up with a declaration, that unless he was allowed instantly to open his fire upon the American, he would report the Dane to the Lords of the Admiralty, and threw them to the king of denmark all this is very good sir replied the captain of the frigate not in the least ruffled by the furious tone of the englishman you are on board his danish majesty's frigate dannebrog which i the baron augustus von hovenberg have the honor to command but now that i have ascertained what you both are you must allow captain benson as much time as will place him far ahead of you as he was when i first ordered him to heave to. D-blank, if I do, that's all, growled Captain Stanley. But you shall, sir, replied the Baron, secretly wishing to favor the American, though his proposition was only justice. And moreover, I shall allow no fighting between you while my ship is in presence. Which course does your lordship intend to steer? asked Benson, very innocently, winking at the Englishman toward the american coast sir replied the baron understanding him at once that's just my course my lord continued benson demurely and i'll keep under your lordship's lee i'll be de blank if you shall sir broke in captain stanley whose patience was fast vanishing before the jibes of the yankee don't know how you'll prevent me sir replied benson very composedly shutting his starboard eye and squinting horribly with the other quietly gentlemen quietly said the dane gravely just step into my cabin and take dinner with me we'll talk this matter over no refusal gentlemen come along captain stanley though wishing the dane at the devil could not refuse while benson enjoying the fun gladly accepted the invitation and all descending to the cabin sat down to dinner "'Now then, gentlemen,' said the baron, as he adjusted his napkin in the most scientific manner, and made the other requisite preparations for taking his allowance aboard, "'nothing so much injures digestion as violent talking. Therefore we will eat our dinner in peace, and discuss this matter over a wine. Captain Stanley, allow me to give you a bit of his majesty's junk.' And during dinner he talked over the news, the method of ascertaining longitude by D.R., an improvement he had made in the log, and narrated some well-twisted yarns. With all this delay, Benson was much pleased, as he knew it would give time for his men to get out the Indy cargo, and accordingly swallowed the Baron's stories, and laughed so heartily at his jokes, that he made quite a lodgment in the Danes' good opinion, while Stanley, too angry to eat or talk, answered only when addressed, and then only in monosyllables. "'Well, gentlemen,' said the baron, as he finished relating an out-and-outer, and passed the bottle for the twelfth time. We will now arrange this matter. When I hove to the schooner, she was four miles from the sloop of war. It is, of course, fair that she should now have the same advantage. You, Captain Stanley, will therefore remain hove to until Captain Benson has made this headway, and then you can continue your chase. But, Captain Benson, I cannot allow either you or your prize to keep under my lee. "'for I should by so doing violate my neutrality. "'And although I shall keep within sight of you, "'it will be only to see the result of the game, "'as I shall not interfere in any way.' "'If you please, my lord,' said Benson, "'a comical idea entering his cranium at this moment, Thirty minutes' truce from the time I reach my vessel "'will suit me as well as four miles headway. "'In that time I shall return the Indiamen's crew "'and passengers on board of her and we will then escape by running or fighting, as it may happen. "'That is very fair, sir,' replied the Dane. "'And with that, Captain Stanley, I think you will be satisfied. "'At the end of the 30 minutes truce I shall fill away "'and leave you to fight your own battles, "'and at that we'll consider it settled.' "'So saying, he returned upon the deck, followed by the rivals.' "'Captain Stanley, though little pleased with this decision, "'felt that it was useless to remonstrate.' and sullenly mounted the gangway to descend into his boat when on glancing at the privateer a sight greeted his eye which made him pause and give vent to several vigorous anathemas now it so chanced that the privateer's men having nearly cleared the indiaman of the most valuable part of her cargo were at this moment tossing the cases of silk and chests of teas in a perfect shower over a gunwale upon the deck of the schooner while the multitude of cases boxes etc which lay about the american's deck showed plainly that jonathan had well improved his time this was too much for captain stanley's nerves and jumping back upon deck he angrily demanded of the danish baron that benson should be compelled to restore the cargo of the Indiaman. that sir replied the baron suppressing a laugh with difficulty is none of my business and no part of my business and no part of captain benson's agreement he agreed to leave the ship to take her chance but said nothing about the cargo you must help that as you can.' And "'Furthermore, sir,' he added sternly, "'if you offer to brace up until I do, which I shall do as soon as the thirty minutes have expired, I shall consider it a personal insult, and shall open my fire upon you immediately.' "'Sir, so adieu, gentlemen, it is seldom that I meet such pleasant society at sea, and I shall always remember you.' Politely taking leave of the baron, Benson first returned to his boat when the bloody faces of both boats' crews showed that they had been enjoying a little quiet fight among themselves. "'How's this, my lads?' said he in a loud tone that Stanley might hear him as he shoved off to let his boat draw up. "'You did wrong to flog those gentlemen rope haulers. You should have doused your peak to them.' "'I say, Captain Stanley,' he added as the latter came down into his boat, "'don't you think it would be a good plan for us to club together and take this frigate? I believe we could lick her.' "'and then we would have our fight out good-naturedly, eh?' "'The Englishman, however, was in no humor for jesting, "'and vouchsafed him no reply, "'so each returned to his vessel. "'We have taken out all the schooner "'will stow of the Indiaman's cargo, sir,' "'reported Townsend, as Benson came on board. "'Very good, sir,' replied Benson. "'Muster all hands aft here. "'Few words sufficed to explain his plan,' And it was as rapidly put in execution. All the English prisoners, including Captain St. John, were put into the cabin of the Indiaman, and the companionway, skylights, deadlights, and hatches locked fast and battened down. Next, all her sheets, tacks, and halyards were stoppered and unrove. All her studding sails were then set on both sides, she being still hoved to and leaving the tack standing. The sheets and halyards were also stoppered and unrove, and everything being prepared the remainder of the thirty minutes truce was employed in starting overboard the balance of her cargo when the danish frigate braced up at the close of the truce the indiaman was cast off from the privateer her yards squared and her helm lashed fast amidships and instantly gathering way, she was off like a shot before the wind heading directly for the sloop of war the few americans who yet remained on board the indiaman then jumped into their boat were hauled back by the line the boat ran up at the davits and the schooner, filling away, stood north-northwest, thus keeping a prize between herself and the sloop. The Indiaman, meanwhile, bore rapidly down for the man-of-war, and the latter was so nearly in her course that Stanley found great difficulty in getting out of the way in time. For had the Indiaman yawed at two points, she would have run him slap aboard, which concussion, as it would probably have sent both to the bottom, was not exactly a consummation devoutly to be wished. By this time also, Stanley perceived that there were no persons on the Indiaman's deck, and the nature of Benson's trick dawning upon him, he became aware that it was not so easy to take the Indian man, she having, of course, a singular degree of independence in her motions, and before his plan of operations was arranged, she had whizzed past him and was off to the southwest at twelve knots an hour. This was decidedly provoking, and Stanley was obliged at once to give up all hopes of capturing the privateer which had now gained good start to windward, and make all sail in chase of the Indiamen, for to leave her in present condition would have been outright murder to all on board. Accordingly, with many heartfelt execrations at the Yankee's trick, he bore away in chase, while, to add to his vexation, the privateer, perceiving his change of course, instantly put up her helm also, and dispatching a forty two pound shot to inform him of that fact, gave him chase, taking care to avoid the range of his stern chasers so that it looked altogether amazingly as if he was running away from the schooner. It was truly a laughable sight to see the sloop of war setting studding sails low and aloft, and cracking on everything in chase of the indiamen, for to fire upon her could do no manner of good, as would very likely kill some of her crew, so that it was altogether a very romantic chase, very much like running after eggs downhill. To put your foot upon them would stop them doubtless, but it would probably break them into the bargain. "'Accordingly, the Danes and the Yankees catenated greatly at Stanley's pickle, "'and he, guessing their thoughts "'from his consciousness of the predicament he was in, "'mingled all manner of prayers "'for their future condition with the orders he gave, uh, "'the which petitions, if granted, "'will materially affect the condition "'of the scamps aforesaid "'on the leeward side of the river Styx. "'The man, meanwhile, "'seemed spitefully to sail like the devil, "'so there was more than an hour "'before the sloop was abreast of her.' the privateer still giving chase to both. Having overtaken her, it was next necessary to board her, and this too was by no means so easy. Two large ships under full headway would rasp one another finally if laid alongside, while the send boat was useless, as it would drop astern very shortly. So here was another peck of troubles. Captain Stanley, at length perceiving that nothing else would do, ran within a hundred feet of the indiaman and, loading his starboard battery with chain shot, let it drive among a rigging. Here, however, he got more than he bargained for. Intending to shoot away only the braces, the shrouds, and stays followed, and the wheel being also demolished, the Indian man yawed suddenly, and in an instant was lying alongside his starboard side afoul. The consequent rasp was highly emphatic, and in consequence, down thundered the masts and yards of the Indiaman the greater part upon the decks of the sloop of war, so that Stanley was, on the whole, quite decently peppered, while to crown all, the farewell forty pound shot from the privateer, as she hauled upon the wind for the coast, came crashing through his taffrail. End of section four.